Welcome to another edition of the Music City Drive-In. On this episode, we are going to tackle 1917. Jacob and I saw this on Monday, and we have a lot of great things to talk about whenever we uh, go into it. We're going to dive into the non-spoiler, then we're going to dive into the spoiler. And in the podcast notes, you can find out where to skip ahead, because I know there's a lot of people out there that have not seen this film. We're also going to tackle our Best Picture nominations as always, I am joined by my co-host and partner in crime, Jacob. How are you, buddy? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good, man. I'm excited to talk about this movie. I know you are as well. And uh, it was a phenomenal movie. It, we're, I was typing my review up, and, and, and as I was, I just kept on finding words that I didn't even know that were in my vocabulary to type about this uh, review, Jacob. Yep. Yep. Man, I, I, I went back. I was working on my review today. I've actually been sake the past few days so i finally got some time to just sit down and work and i went back to watch the trailer to kind of recuperate my mind with it and i almost started crying then and there i mean this film's absolutely beautiful but uh we'll talk about that more in a, in a little bit and folks what we're going to do now is we're going to do the new segment we introduced last week that's brought to you by nashvillenoise.com Folks, check that out. You can see movie reviews. You can see music reviews. You can see um, reviews of new places and stuff opening in Nashville. Um, Cotty Howell is one of the people that runs that website. She's fantastic. So check out NashvilleNoise.com. And now what Jacob and I are going to do is we're going to watch the latest SpongeBob movie, Sponge on the Run trailer together live as we're on, as we're watching this episode, or listen, God, I can't talk today, guys. We're just gonna keep running through it as I can't talk. <laughs> but Jacob, are you excited to watch this trailer? I, I really am. I, I, you know what? I'm gonna be, before we before we talk about this. I like SpongeBob. I've always liked SpongeBob. Um, my daughter loves SpongeBob, so yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm a huge huge SpongeBob fan. I grew up on SpongeBob. Are um, you? So are, I've loved the first two movies, and yeah. I'm excited. So are you ready? Yep, I'm good to go. All right, let's do it. Three, two, one, and play. I love my life. <laughs> I love you so much, Gary. I'll never forget the day we met. I like what they're doing with the animation. Me too. Over ice cream. Let it ride! Let it ride! Let it ride! 
you can bet on. Put it on L. Patrick, that's not an L, that's a seven. Seven <laughs> starts with an L? That's weird. <laughs> the SpongeBob movie, Sponge on the Run. This is gonna be like a funny movie. Oh, I love your sense of irony, Patrick. Thank you. <laughs> I love my Jeez. sense of irony too. <laughs> like, uh, for me, like Patrick is just—he reminds you like very much of like Eeyore in some some instance. Yep. He's so just good. not just not depressed all the time. Yeah, exactly. The polar opposite of being depressed. So, what were your thoughts on that trailer, Jacob? Um, I do have I have a few issues. Um, the losing Gary, they already did in a episode, and the hot dog, uh, cart or whatever hot dog vehicle. It just seems like a ripoff of the burger vehicle from the first SpongeBob movie. Um. I mean, I like the animation style. I think I think it'll be fun. Um, I mean, it's scored by Hans Zimmer, so it'll probably sound great. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just hope I hope they don't start running out of ideas when it comes to SpongeBob. And I hope this isn't like the quintessential like we don't know what to do, so we're just gonna keep redoing stuff we've already done. Yeah, that's the big thing is is once you've had I don't know how many episodes it's had, but I'm sure it's had hundreds of episodes. There's only so much you can do before you're like dipping back into the old well. Um, the, the, it looks funny, obviously. I mean, SpongeBob as a collective whole is very funny, but I agree with you. It's it doesn't seem fresh. It doesn't seem new. It doesn't seem like you know that new Scooby Doo trailer. At least looked fresh and new whenever you saw it. And there's been hundreds, maybe even thousands of episodes of Scooby Doo. So I'll watch it because I like SpongeBob, but I'm not exactly enthused over the first trailer. All right, folks, what we're going to do now is we're going to dive into non-spoilers of 1917. So uh, once we're done with this, we'll put a timestamp in the bottom of the episode where you can skip ahead and you can check out our Best Picture nominations. Um, without further ado, we're going to talk about 1917. Um, Jacob, go ahead and kick us off, my man. Um, so, yeah, 1917. Um you know, this this film, it's not just the technical achievement, you know, of the decade. It's not just, you know, all tech and nothing else. I mean, this is truly one of the best films of the decade. Um, not only is it probably one of the best films of the decade, for me personally, it's one of the best films of the century. It's one of the best films of the last hundred years. It's one of the best films of all time. Um, you know, I left. I left or I entered this film with such high expectations. I mean, you've heard, you guys have heard Ricky and I talk about it forever about how, you know, 1917 could be the one to give us that last five star of the year. Um, and I left this movie more awestruck than I even could even imagine. I mean, I was breathless. I couldn't talk. I couldn't feel anything. I just, became fully engrossed in the film um you know it was beautiful there were two particular moments and i'll talk more about them in spoilers but there were two moments to where i just sunk down in my chair and everything that i loved about cinema about films about filmmaking about acting about everything came to to fruition at one moment um i mean it really was like having an out-of-body experience um, you know, this is, 
it's not just my number one of the year. It's not just going to be in my top five of the decade. Um, you know, this upon second watch, this could be my number one film of all time. I absolutely loved it. Um, I mean, I gave it a perfect five out of five stars. It's this took for me being, you know, a history guy. Um, this is a perfect. Um, this is one of the first World War One films that I have ever seen and I think have ever been made. And it might be the last because I don't know if anyone is going to want to try to follow this one up. Yeah, so the thing that really, really got me in this film was um, as you're watching this film and you're, as you're watching it progress, I felt like I couldn't breathe for two straight hours. Like my heart was sunk into my chest. I was on the edge of my seat the entire film. Um, the score is magnificent. It was beautiful. There was a lot of low-key moments where there was little to no dialogue, and the score kind of carried the film. And mm -hmm. it was a beautiful. It, it was a beautiful way it motioned throughout the film as the score kind of just ripped right into you know right into your heart as you're watching this film. Thomas Newman was just absolutely phenomenal with his score. I, I, he can just go ahead and, and, and solidify himself as, as a Oscar nominated um, for this film, obviously. Um, it was emotional. It was heartfelt. It was riveting. It was just a powerful film. And, and you're right, I can't wait to dive into spoilers. But before we do, for me, I, I, would, I would be remiss to not talk about um, McKay. I mean, he just... Yes. I mean, he look. I I I'm writing this currently in my review about him, but in my opinion, this this movie doesn't work without his performance as Showfield. It just doesn't. It, it don't get me wrong. It probably would have been a great film. They could have found somebody else, but McKay really did a fantastic job of being Showfield. Period. You know what I mean? He was him. He was the heart and soul of this film, and. And you were more than okay with it, and you more than rooted for him. Um, I, I even said this. There was one moment where you see it in the trailer, so this is not a spoiler. But as he's running across the war field, you just want to get up and just just jump onto the battlefield with him and carry him where he needs to be. And you root for him. You, you, you do. You just. It, it's one of those films you're rooting so hard for the the goal to be accomplished. And along the way, you have all these obstacles thrown in your way, and it's a hard-fought battle. From he was just he just was a heavyweight in this. I mean, I've slid him all the way up to number two in my rankings for best actor, right behind. Actually, I think he's like tied for second with him and Driver, but you know, right behind Phoenix. But this guy was this guy's a heavy hitter, and and to be honest with you, I feel like this is going to be the the McKay coming out party. And I'm here for it because he was phenomenal. And, and just he really did blow me away, though. He was truly magnificent in, in what he brought to this film. And, and obviously, Mendez. What, what can't we say about Mendez? I mean, there were, and I'll talk about kind of the two that he. One of the scenes that I would like to, you know, that I was, that would talk about is that, you know, him running. That's that scene. It would, the urgency of this scene is massive. You know what I mean? And you felt that. You were on the edge of your seat. And and as, as Mendez slowly pans out 
and you see just so much havage, you know, wreckage happening in the background. It's just this movie was shot beautifully. It was, and you're right. It's not just a technical masterpiece because that is what part of what it was. But at the same time, it, it's got a beautiful. It, it was just beautifully acted, and it was beautifully shot, and the cinematography was absolutely gorgeous. Um, Roger Dinkins is a is a madman. He's crazy. Um, but yeah, there's, I really, I have spent days since Monday trying to find something wrong with this film and, and, you know, I have it slotted number three, um, for the year pretty, pretty easily into my third slot right behind Parasite and Marriage Story, but man, it was, it was one of the best, it, it's one of the better theatrical, uh, 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 experiences of my lifetime, for sure. Yeah, I can tell you why you can't find anything is because there is nothing wrong with this. I mean, this this film is, you know, we've you, know, you try to get as close to perfect as you can, and I I truly think this is the perfect film. Um, I mean, it's this film's not going to be for everyone. It is very anxious. Um, it's very aggressive in some of the camera work, just because it is done in one shot. Um, but it's beautiful. If you if you allow yourself to get engrossed by this film, you will be the better. You'll be better coming out of it. Um, going back on what you said about McKay, he. I know you said he slotted your number two for me. He's slotted at two as well, but he's tied for one. Um, I mean, he's right there. If I if I was a betting man, I would bet on him. You know, to try to get that to try to get that uh, top spot. Um, I mean, he just absolutely blew me away. We, Ricky and I talked about this after the film, but it was a lot like it was a lot like Leo's performance in The Revenant. Um, you know that nuanced, more physical type of role. And there's one scene that we'll probably talk about that really engulfed uh, that kind of Revenant style. But um, but yeah, I mean, McKay just absolutely blew me away, and the Dean Charles Chapman blew me away too. I mean, he was. You know, he was good as well. Um, but like you said, I mean, it's just throughout the film, it seems like every time something's going well, it just goes wrong. And, you know, war is hell. And being the war that started on horseback and ended, you know, in the air, it's like there's so much there's so much they could have done with this. I think one of the best things that Sam Mendes did was he didn't base this off any actual story that had been written. He didn't try to find something to make a movie off of. He based this movie off accounts of his grandfather. And so this is something to where he could he could make the story as he went. And I think that takes away from the fact of, oh, you know, they didn't get this historically accurate or they didn't get this moment historically accurate because – you know, all the all like the history side of it's right, but everything that happens is how he wants it to be, and I think that helps a lot um, in a movie like this. Yeah, I totally agree, hundred um, percent. For me, um, I, you know, for me, it's not it's not like the the thing for me. I think personally is why I don't have it at the top of my radars because I think the acting. Don't get me wrong, George McKay was phenomenal. I, I think he was really the only piece of the puzzle that really mattered and was really good in this film that was beyond talking about. 
I think the rest see, of the cast would just serve their purpose. One of, one of like one of my favorite things about the acting is is Sam Mendes went out and got guys like Mark Strong, um, Richard Madden, Benedict Cumberbatch, Colin Firth, gave them, you know, one page of dialogue at the most. I mean, Richard Madden had five minutes in the film and he blew me away his five minutes and i think he just kind of he kind of left it all for george mckay um and being charles chapman and was like we're gonna bring in actors that know their craft that are completely know what they're doing and they're just going to give a solid performance to kind of lead you on the way yeah i don't disagree i just uh, you know i i for me personally i just, i mean chapman was okay i don't think he was he didn't really I don't think he really added anything to the film that really couldn't have been added really anywhere else. I mean, I obviously we'll talk a little bit more in the spoiler version of it, but um, for me, that's that, that's what I'm saying. That's the reason, but that's my only nitpick, and that's not a nitpick. I'm just comparing it to say a Marriage Story for me personally is the the best acted film of the year, and and for me personally, that that the, the heavyweight acting in that film obviously was in more depth. But obviously, McKay's performance was really hard. But for me, like, and then Parasite, to me, I don't think it's as, it doesn't equate to as Parasite. It, it, we're, I'm talking really apples to apples here on, on the grand scheme of things. These are both all three five-star films that were phenomenal. But that's just me explaining why, uh, to, to everybody that's listening, of why I don't have it. I know Jacob has it in his one spot. I have it at three. But for me personally, I just couldn't. I found myself arguing with myself of why... It was better than the other two, and I couldn't find enough to put it over the hump. But to be honest with you, you will not go with wrong with this film. And before we dive into spoilers, I will say one more thing about this film. Please see this film on the biggest, most biggest screen you can find in your area. Because we saw it, we were lucky enough to see it in RPX, and it added an extra layer to it. But when this movie comes out towards the end of the year, limitedly, and then worldwide in January, see this film on the biggest screen possible because you are going to fall in love. We can't, I can't wait for everybody to see this film. And for those that have seen it, we're going to transition into our spoilers here. And I will put down in the podcast notes um, and timestamp. And it, it'll be there will be a commercial in between. Um, this and the spoilers, so you'll know where to skip ahead to as well, but I will put it down in the podcast notes for you guys. Alright folks, make sure to skip Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording and hosting. And distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free! And ridiculously easy to use. And now... Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast and that means you can get paid to podcast right away in fact that's what i'm doing right now by reading this ad so if all if you've always wanted to start a podcast making money to do it go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using anchor that's anchor.fm slash start i cannot wait to hear your podcast ahead to the best picture conversation that we're going to have if you have not watched 1917 because we are going to dive full-fledged into the spoilers of this film. Um, we're going to talk in depth about some of the things that happened within the film, so please skip ahead right now. Um, we'll do a little bit of back and forth here, Jacob, but I'll kind of kick us off here and say, I, I forgot to say this, this movie made me feel things that I've never felt during a movie before in my, in my life, and... 
I've seen, I don't know, thousands of movies in my lifetime. And for me, it just made me feel things. And I think I was so engulfed in this film that there were certain moments that just, it made me feel like, wow, like this is, I need McKay to make it to the finals. I need Schofield to make it happen. And the one scene in particular for me was, is when they were on the truck and they're traveling in that truck and the, the tire gets stuck in that mud and he gets out of out of the truck and he's just frustrated because he knows that any more stalling along the way he's going to be stuck and he's not going to be able to make it to his end goal of of, of handing that letter over to um stop the you know stop the troops from going into this war that they're about to get you know just murdered on and when he gets off that truck and he starts pushing it by himself and you just see the look and this is a a, a huge testament to to mckay and his acting ability because he his facial expressions were so good in this film that it, it added an extra layer to the role but you felt his need to get this truck out of the ditch and then of course he gets those around him to to help him push it out but when he does that you just have this big sense and it's one of those things that we talked about in non-spoiler version you're just on the edge of your seat not sure what's going to happen is they are they going to get this truck out of there is it going to happen and, and when he does what's the next role you know what i mean and then the follow-up to that was whenever they got to that dead end and they kind of just left McKay by himself because he knew that he he could no longer ride with these guys anymore. And then that sequence that followed where, you know, he got shot at a bunch of times was really just wow. But that sequence for me, uh, Jacob, was one of the one of the pivotal moments for me that I just, I sat there and watched it and I was like, this is why I love film because I found myself already loving this film, but... McKay as Shufield just made me rip my heart in two and a tear just rolled down my eyes just watching his effort to get to this next level. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that scene was phenomenal. Um, you know, and that came, that came right after he had just lost, um, you know, he just lost Blake and he was broken and he was absolutely destroyed and he knew that to live up to Blake's legacy, he needed to, to get this done. And I mean, like you said, that scene was so powerful, but for me, the scene, you know, the scene that probably resonated with me the most was you see it a little bit in the trailer. It's right after there's a scene where after he fights with, um, I don't know. I, me call myself a history guy and I don't know who they're fighting. I'm, I guess it was the Germans, but after he fights against the Germans and, uh, you know, he goes up in the building and he shoots him, but the German gets one last shot and it's kind of skims his helmet and he falls down. We get a quick cut and then we come back and it's hours later. Um, he gets up, uh, Schofield does, he gets up and he goes down and there's a big kind of temple and he runs through that temple, and the score is pounding. It's the loudest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. It's cinematic. It's loud. It's daunting. And he's walking. Then he starts getting shot at, and he starts running through. And you just see you're stuck with him the whole time because this is still one shot. 
you're stuck with him the whole time as he's running through this and the you know the cinematography not just the camera work but the colors and the lighting from roger deakins is absolutely fantastic and in this scene it just culminates everything and i like i said in the uh non-spoiler i just sat there and all i could think of was uh was that picture of guillermo del toro that says and i believe in cinema because at that moment i did i did believe in cinema i sat there and i said this is you know started writing for this is what you know i told myself this is what ricky and i got this podcast for i mean this is that i sat there and there are no words spoken all you do is watch a schofield run down a tunnel basically or like an open tunnel and you're just in awe of the beauty i mean it's absolutely breathtaking yeah it really is it's that whole sequence and the empathy that you feel um when he meets up with that uh, the lady downstairs with the baby. Uh, I felt yes. that scene was very important and, and pivotal for the film. It, it, to me personally, it, every frame mattered. Every scene mattered. Every See, look, you can you can try to nitpick certain things about this film, but for me personally, you can't nitpick really anything about the film as you're watching it um, because there's not really anything to pick. I mean, you're in real time. You're you're fighting, you're battling, you're going up this these hills of of obstacles and and facing these challenges with Schofield and and what he's battling and where he's going and taking the gunshots with him and and doing nothing but rooting him on. And I think my favorite part of this entire film was the fact that he didn't necessarily make it on time. And I think that's where this film really took um the turn for the better for me because obviously you know you have the rainbows and butterflies where he shows up and delivers the handwritten letter and it's like yay kumbaya he got there saved everybody but that's not what happened he got there and the war and the battle had already started the the onslaught of casualties was already beginning and that's what made the film even better because you're crossing a line well, of not getting that perfect ending and and you do in some instances but there was casualties towards that cause well you know to go off that i mean it's not you realize you know he he didn't get there on time yes and the battle had already started yes but it's what Benedict Cumberbatch says to him, you know, him showing up doesn't matter. You know, they'll get a letter the next day and they'll say, go attack at this one. And then they'll get a letter a week from then that'll say, stop. And it really, that, that war really was last man standing. You know, there wasn't, there wasn't anything other in, there wasn't anything other in world war one then being last man standing. And that's, what really made World War One such a gruesome into that. I mean, there's that whole scene towards the end when they're walking through and you see all the the bodies that are just like legs destroyed, arms destroyed. They're talking about amputations. I mean, that was that's what it was. I mean, there's there's a bunch of, you know, dead bodies everywhere in this film. And that's why for me, I think the makeup team definitely deserves an oscar nom for this i mean the makeup in this film was breathtaking i mean it looked so realistic going through those um the medical camp and going through when he's 
in the water and he's treading up on the all these dead bodies and even when um you know even when dean charles chapman's blake even when blake died i mean it wasn't like a normal death where the person just dies i mean you physically saw him die you saw his his face and his hands turn ghost white and you saw like the breath leave his body i mean it was absolutely breathtaking how real they got for this film and doing it all in one take, getting it to where, you know, they can't they can't really, you know, cut away and then cut back to having Blake looking like that. You had to watch him transform from, you know, an, a, an alive person to a dead person. And it was, you know, that's one of the things that I think doing the one shot style really helps is you are forced to stay in these moments with these characters and you're forced into things that, you know, you, you think back on films and you don't want to be here. You know, you, you don't want to be in this moment. You want to get out of this moment. It reminds me a lot of, um, in 12 years a slave, when they show the scene of, um, when they show the scene of Solomon getting hung and it just stays with him for about five minutes, except this is the whole film. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, um, I just have one, I have one question for you. Did you kind of figure out, um, when she asked him if he had any kids, did you kind of figure out at that moment that he had kids and he just didn't want to say it out loud in case he did die? Yeah, because you saw at the end there, when he looked at the picture, you kind of got that, uh, feel that he did have, he did have some yeah. family. Um, I did. I think I, he had twins. Yeah, I did. I did as well. And I, I obviously, you know, in the military, you're taught not to, you know, tell anybody anything about anything other than anything. You know what I mean? So, yeah, and he felt like a tight knit guy that didn't want to show any emotion towards anything at all. And I for sure took that away from that. And and I will say, all right, so I, I've got I've got one thing. Again, it's not a big enough bone to pick to knock the film as a collective whole. But I'm going to take you back to a scene, all right? When okay. they are in the tunnels, right, where those big, the, the German ones, the big German ones, first off, which I, I will quote-unquote say, which was one of my favorite lines in a movie all year. Um, he said, even their rats are bigger than ours. I about died laughing when he said that. That was hysterical. But yeah, as, Ricky, Ricky, Ricky wrist, uh, getting kicked out for that one. I, I saw him get his phone out and have to, I, I did. I, I couldn't up. help, but I couldn't help but write that one down. Like that's, that was just a hilarious, uh, hilarious line, but okay. So they've got their guns out and they're scoping around. Okay. So when they do, they, they, they hit the tripwire. The rat does, it blows up, blows up or whatever. Okay. So for first part of that sequence, and maybe then this is why I need to see the film again. I need to see what kind of transpired. But he randomly appeared with that gun again towards the end of that uh, end of that sequence. George McKay did. How you say he randomly appeared without or with? No, with. I don't think he ever lost it. But he was under all of this uh, rubble. He was under all of this rubble. And like I said, for me, I've got to rewatch it because I I swear I remember the guns being in both their hands. So unless I remembered wrong and maybe he had it around his neck maybe. But 
that's the only thing that made me mad and like i said a revisit of it but i, I talked to several other people after we watched the movie and they kind of noticed the same thing but his gun was there after the blow up and he was the one under the rubble i need to know how he got that gun back in his hands because i vaguely remember him holding it in his hands the thing blows up and he pulls him out of the rubble and they run and he basically pulls him for his life which obviously outside of this little small complaint that was a phenomenal scene it was brilliant and i loved every second of it but that's that was the one thing i found to pick about this film but again and i say uh reviewing of the film again will determine whether or not i magic he magically appeared with that gun or it, it was around his his uh body whenever it blew up but i don't remember it being around his body so could be wrong but yeah um, I'm trying, I'm pulling up the trailer right now to, cause I know there's a scene of, um, Blake pulling Schofield through the tunnels. And so I'm going to go see if he's got it, uh, see, during I think that, that he scene. Has it towards um, the end of the tunnels, but, he has it, but it blew my mind because I was just like, how did he get that back type thing? And at the same time, it I'm could, like, I mean, it could always be, it could always be, he dropped it when, you know, he dropped it when he, uh, oh, wait, wait, wait. One second, I think I'm seeing it. But when he's yeah, under, he's not holding. He's not holding it. It's attached onto his back. He's okay. got both hands on. He's got both hands on Blake, and it's attached onto him. All right. So that's uh, see, yeah, you, that. We settled that here on the podcast as we're talking. So that's the best part of the entire show. You're yeah, welcome for that. I think, guys. Yeah, I you you see, it's now it's just a very quick shot, but you see it kind of flailing behind him. And you see both of his hands because in this scene, um, you know, I, I would hope that you would have seen the movie before listening to this part of the podcast. But in this scene, of course, you know, he gets dust in his eyes and everywhere, so he can't see anything. But you see the gun flailing off behind him. So you can tell it's kind of attached to him um, on his back in some way. So, it, uh, yeah, it he wasn't holding it when he got out. Um, and I think if I remember correctly, he got out and he was, he took the water and he was dousing himself with, uh, with water and it was still kind of flailing on his back. I mean, of course that's something I'm going to need to see, uh, first. Yeah. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to see it again. Trailer gonna, and yeah. the small. Yeah. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to see it again. And, and that's, that's for me personally. Yeah. Like, it, like I said, it was just, Again, it wasn't a nitpick or anything like that. It was just something that I found kind of random if I, and funny. So, if I remember, if I remember the scene correctly, I'm pretty sure that Blake had his gun pulled, and I think no. If I remember the scene correctly, Blake had his gun pulled. Schofield put his up because he was looking through the food to try to get them something to eat because they didn't eat this entire movie except I think at the very beginning they had some bread, but um. If I remember correctly, Schofield put his gun up so that he could look through the food without having to kind of hold his gun and look through the food at the same time. Folks, um, if you've seen this movie, I need you to verify Jacob's word of mouth here. Not that I don't trust Jacob because I know that we both do, but we need some more verification because well, it might good, be... Well, the good thing is, luckily, luckily Ricky's getting to see it again on Monday. I... I might not be I'm going to that. I might, not be, I might not be going to that. So that's it's not necessarily 100% true. I'm okay. really just hoping that we get it in the mail, to be honest with you. That's yes. That's really what I'm hoping for so that I can uh -huh. – I'm, I'm, the first thing I'm going to do when I open the package is fast forward to that scene so that I can see it. So 
Um, First thing I'm going to do when I open the package is play the movie and make it to the scene. Um, But no, I mean, one other thing I really loved about this film is this has been this has been a year with some incredible final shots, Um, you know, just throughout the year. Uh, you know, Midsummer had a great final shot. Um, Avengers had a good final shot. Uh, this one, I mean, this one's right up with the rest of them. Um, Meh. Where the final shot of the film was just so, it was so poetic in a way. And it was so, it paralleled the beginning so well to where in the beginning you see Schofield laying up against the tree and then it pan, it keeps panning out and you see Blake. And then at the end of the film, it's Schofield who's lying up against the tree. You know, everything's beautiful. His mission has been completed and there's no Blake. And it's just it's it's one of those things that's just kind of like it. That last scene really sticks with you, you know, as as this journey, this journey started in a field under a tree and it finished in a field under a tree. Couldn't agree more. And folks, that's why. We talked about this on this episode. We've been planning on talking about the best picture race after we saw 1917 and so that we can finally smartly talk about a lot of these films in our top 10. So, folks, for those of you that have waited um, and listened through all of this, it's time to transition into the best picture conversation. All right, folks, we're going to break down our best picture nominees. Uh, We're going to go 6 through 10 and then 5 through 1. We'll go back and forth. Uh, and give our mix, but uh, as we're on the air here, Jacob got some breaking news on the Twitter.com. What do you got for us, Jacob? Uh, um, so the Cats Embargo is going to be released December 18th at 7 p.m. Eastern, so it'll be released exactly 24 hours before the film comes out, which for anyone who keeps up with embargoes and film releases, that's not usually a very good sign. Uh, folks, I'll be honest with you guys. So the embargo for 1917 was actually released at 6 p.m. Eastern time on Monday. It was about an hour before we saw the movie, and it was exactly almost 48 hours after the first screening in New York. So if that tells you anything, and obviously the film does not come out limited release until the end of December, and then it doesn't come out worldwide until January. So if that tells you anything about the confidence between the films, that speaks volumes. And uh, Jacob, give us your six through ten and your best picture race, buddy. Um, so my t- ten is a beautiful day in the neighborhood. My nine is the farewell. My eight is Ford v Ferrari. My seven is Jojo Rabbit, and my six is a newcomer in Little Women. My number ten is Joker. My number nine is Two Popes. My number eight is Little Women. My seven is Dolomite, and number six is Marriage Story. What is your five through one? So my five through one, um, my number five is Parasite. Number four is Marriage Story. My number three is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. My number two is The Irishman. And my number one film is Newcomer 1917. Yeah, so it's kind of funny how very, very similar our lists are. And obviously these aren't preferential lists, but they are what we think is going to happen, obviously, at the Oscars. My number five is Jojo Rabbit. Number four, Parasite. Three nineteen seventeen, two Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and number one Irishman. And I am going to put Jacob on the spot right now. He didn't know I was going to do this, but if you were a betting man today, what movie are you betting on? What movie? Okay, if I'm a betting man, I'm probably putting my bets on. 
uh, I think if I'm a betting man, 1917 gives the best bang for your buck. Um, most most things have 1917 as a as a fringe five, um, you know, top five lower in the uh, four four and five spot. So if you want the best bang for your buck, I'd go 1917. If you want the safest pick, it's easily the Irishman right behind or uh, right in front of Once Upon a Time. I think if I'm betting man today, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood wins over everything because I think that could get the most votes consistently throughout the entire judging of you know how they pick the process and everything and they break it down the way they do. I think Once Upon a Time could easily hands down beat the rest of these films. And I still t- – that is my – once upon a time is my lock right now that I think I'm going to pick to win best picture today. I might change my mind in a month from now. I don't know, but right now I think once upon a time is going to run away with it. I think that 1917 is going to win probably the most awards um, for the night, but I, I and it probably will win director, but it will not win best picture. Um, that that's just me t- speaking today. Folks, do us a favor. Check out NashvilleNoise.com. As we spoke about earlier, they are the new trailer uh, reaction sponsor. Check out them on Twitter, at Nashville Noise. Check out uh, Cotty on Twitter as well, at Cotty Howell. Do us a favor. Head over to VisualProfitMovies.com and check out all of Jacob's latest movie reviews. Give him a follow on Twitter, at VP underscore movies. Give myself a follow on Twitter, at Ricky Valera underscore Go to the sportscript.com to check out all my latest movie reviews and articles as well. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. If you're listening on iTunes, please leave us a five-star review. And until next time, we'll talk to you guys soon.